here this morning. Her and her husband, Andre, uh, head up the leadership team for Cornerstone Church in Rolleston, which is a church that they have taken from a small number to well over 300 on a Sunday now in a few years, which is awesome. And Hannah is a mum of three kids and is also a nurse. And uh, one of the things um, about her is that she was brought up on the mission field in Papua New Guinea. And we, Denise and I met uh, my son William and his girlfriend Michaela go to Cornerstone in Rolleston. And so at Michaela's 21st, we met Hannah and Andre for the first time and got chatting and discovered this. And I thought, um, wouldn't it be great to have her come and speak? So Hannah, welcome to stage. Hi guys, I'm just going to get set up quickly here. There we go. Jumbra Yipsua, Kanyam Chmo, Hannah Powell, Kanyam Saksapai Da, Dal Mal, Juop Nat Dang Ochnia. That is Khmer, that's um, the language from Cambodia, which I also spent a number of years um, growing up. And um, I just said um, it's a, a formal greeting. Uh, my name is Hannah Powell. Thank you so much. It's lovely to meet you all. And um, so far, you've been very friendly and welcoming. So thank you very much for that. Um, so yeah, thank you Robert and Denise for inviting me. Um, we know Will and Michaela quite well and really enjoy having them at, at Cornerstone. So um, my name is Hannah and my husband Andre. I've got a wee photo, I've got a few photos here of the family because it's always nice to see people's faces. Um, this is my husband Andre. So we um, pastor Cornerstone Church in Rolleston. We've been out there four and a half years now um, and it's our first um, senior pastor role, so it's been a lot of learning. Um, it's been a whirlwind, as Robert said, the growth um, uh, has been huge and very quick, so it's a lot of chasing our tails and, and trying to catch up. Um, as you know, Rolleston is still continuing to explode in terms of numbers and families coming in all the time, so it's really exciting um, and it's a real privilege to be partnering with God um, pastoring out there. We have three children. Oh, that's them there. <laughs> um, our Isaac is our oldest. He is eight and a half. He's nine in November, which is scary. Um, he's our wee chatter. I think like most uh, firstborns, he's very much a people person. He likes to know exactly what is happening each and every day, and uh, everything is black and white, and uh, that, that's him. We've got Luca, who is five. Um, he's six in October. He's our cheeky little secondborn. Um, if anyone here is a middle child or a secondborn, you'll know what that means. He's completely different to the older one, <laughs> um, but he is um, lots of fun. And then God brought along this little creature. <laughs> this is Evelyn, uh, or Evie. She's two and a half, and um, she is a bundle of joy and also full of beans um, in the good and the bad <laughs> way. Two and a half, um, as you know. Some days it's full-on tantrums, and other days it's very sweet. Um, kisses on your nose, and, hi, sweetheart, have a good day, she says to me as I head off to work. So she's, um, she is awesome. Righty. I just want to take um, a few minutes just to, I guess, explain um, how I got into overseas mission, how um, I kind of have ended up where I am um, with a real heart and a real passion for um, cross-cultural mission. And just kind of want to tell you a wee bit of a story of where it all began. Um, my mum, Ruth, is actually here with me this morning. Everyone say, hi, Ruth. <laughs> Thanks for coming, mum. 
Um, so this is her there on the left at the back. I will explain what the mud is all about shortly. Um, but this is our family. So this is um, in Papua New Guinea. This is a wee island called Pangoa, which um, for myself was, was the main um, area that I grew up in. Tiny little island. It was uh, about a mile long and half a mile wide. There were two tribes that lived on that island, and we worked mostly with one one of the tribes there, but it was tiny, very isolated, very hard to get to. Um, we were sort of in Lake Murray um, in Papua New Guinea, so it was very, um, took a long time to get anywhere, especially in the rainy season. It was, it was difficult. There was a little Cessna plane that would come in once a month for groceries and bring us um, food and things like that, um, but yeah, we were kind of in the wops. So this is um, Christmas time. They uh, have a festival, it, essentially it's a mud fight, um, <laughs> just kind of, it's just a tradition. So um, we, as the, as the missionaries there, we joined in um, full, full hog. So as you can tell, I'm right at the front there, I'm not too impressed about it. I think I must have got some mud in my eyes or something like that. Um, but I could tell you many, many stories about this hill. So just down the hill is our house that um, was a wee bit run down when we got there. It was a, a missionary house, but um, the locals and my dad kind of worked on making it livable. Um, but many, many very good memories. Um, and I just want to honour my mum and dad for just taking the step. Um, because as a four-year-old, living somewhere like that is, is bliss. <laughs> it was so much fun, running around, climbing coconut trees, um, chasing village animals, and, um, and spending all day out in the, in the sun. I remember um, a lot of my stories actually include snakes, funnily enough, <laughs> living in Papua New Guinea. But I do remember coming down that hill, coming into the back um, door of our house, and my oldest sister was very excited um, because she had traded a pencil with one of the local um, kids for a pencil snake, which was literally a snake that was about the size of a pencil. It was sort of a bright or lime green sort of colour, and she was sitting there playing with it, and she kept it as her pet, um, <laughs> so, which is a nice story that you can tell um, Kiwis who are not so fond of snakes. And another story I remember was, was in the middle of the night, you know, waking up to go to the bathroom, and mum and dad would be taking me through the hallway and just casually, oh, just jump over that snake that's in the hallway. Dad will get rid of it and take it outside because you don't want to leave it and kind of wonder where it's gone in the middle of the night. Probably the most memorable story um, about a snake, which um, I do like to tell people, although I, was, I don't think I was there at the time. We had a good friend who was staying with us, and my mum, we had a gas oven, my mum had noticed that some of the food had been started to be uh, nibbled at and um, eaten and was wondering if there was a mouse or a rat that was coming in through the back of the oven. Um, and so one day my dad and, and his friend were in the kitchen. They heard some rustling around and they thought, right, we're going to get this. So they opened up the oven. They did see, I think, a mouse or a rat, you know, potentially running back through the little hole in the back of the oven. Um, but they also saw a huge snake, massive um, all curled up and chasing, chasing, sliding, uh, the rat or the mouse um, and trying to get out of there. But my dad was like, no, no more. Not going to keep worrying about the snake coming up and eating the food and that sort of thing. So he grabbed the tail, slowly pulled it out. As the head came out, it kind of swung around, almost about to bite his wrist and his friend had a machete. I don't know where he got a machete, but we're in Papua New Guinea, so he probably was just lying around. Chopped the head clean off. 
just before it bit my dad, which is like, this is amazing. And they were so stoked and they were um, just like on a high and they took this snake outside and they held it up. It was a good six feet long probably. Um, and they're showing all the locals, look what we did. We killed this. It was like a python or a constrictor or something, not too dangerous. And the locals looked at them and said, that is not a python or just a constrictor. That is a papuan black, which is essentially like a mum black mamba which is very, very poisonous. And they said, if you walked up that hill, that hill right there, <laughs> if you had walked up the hill, you would have got to the top before you dropped dead. And they said, why did you grab that, you crazy man? <laughs> so that was, uh, that, uh, yeah, had my dad and his friends shaking, shaking in their boots. But there's lots of good stories. Um, uh, lots of really amazing memories. Um, and definitely this time in my life, I was there until I was five. Um, was a huge foundation for me in terms of God sparking a real love um, for uh, other cultures, a real desire um, for cross-cultural mission, um, and yeah, that's kind of where it all began. This is us not looking so muddy on the same hill. <laughs> um, we came back to New Zealand uh, when I was about five, and we spent 10 years, my dad was pastoring around New Zealand um, for most of that time. And then um, when I was 15, we actually went to live in Cambodia. So my mum and dad got asked to um, go and run an NGO that was a medical mission um, out to um, villages and um, running medical clinics and things like that. We came back for my nursing training. Well, we came back around that time and I did my nursing training in Invercargill. Um, and pretty much as soon as I had finished, I got an offer from um, a friend of ours, Dr Annie Chen Green, to um, go back over to Cambodia. Um, I think with just knowing the language and some people over there having contacts, you know, knowing the culture, um, she had a role that needed to be filled. So I went back over on my own um, in 2010, um, brand spanking new nurse, <laughs> didn't really know what I was doing, um, and just went over to serve, you know, just that, that passion that I had, especially living there as a teenager in Cambodia, um, I had said when we'd left, you know, God if you've got anything for me to do in Cambodia again, I'll go. I'll go back. Um, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So when this opportunity came up, it was a very quick yes. And I've got some stories um, to share later on about that. This um, We did a lot of um, clinics in the village, a lot of medical and dental clinics that I helped with. Um, and then we did a lot of basic hygiene um, classes and things for um, the kids and also the parents as well, just um, in terms of health. These, this is just a very typical um, Khmer house out in the village, so many a nights um, sleeping here under mozzie nets um, when we went out to village clinics. Many hours um, on the back of a motorbike, um, travelling to and from places. Sometimes it would be up to five hours, and I remember falling asleep on the back of the motorbike quite a number of times, which is like the worst thing that you can do on a motorbike. <laughs> but you're kind of like hot with the helmet on, and you're like the whole time, so yeah, don't tell anyone that I did that. Um, lots of lots of boat trips, very, very hot, um, very um, slow, um, very loud boats going into our, to our clinics on the Mekong. This is how a lot of people travel, um, long distances. I never travelled like that, thankfully, but um, a lot of people, uh, it's full in the, in the van, so they're on top travelling to um, the city. Very common to see um, security guards and policemen on the back of motorbikes with uh, machine guns, just casually. And uh, this is also a very common sight in Phnom Penh. 
Um, yeah, just, just the balancing act is incredible. The stuff that we saw on the back of motorbikes, huge big glass window panes um, and the crazy busy traffic. Um, nine people, a family of nine on one motorbike. I think the, the record when I was riding, driving, my motorbike was five, four on the back and then me, there's five of us. The food in Cambodia, I could go on for ages about food. I could have put lots of photos, but I'll just have one because I know that will bore some of you. Um, but the food is great. Just Cambodia was just such an awesome, um, enriching time. So this morning, Robert asked me just to speak a little bit on um, what I wish people knew. Um, if you've done some overseas um, or cross-cultural mission, a lot of this will be familiar to you, um, but this is just some of my experience and some of my thoughts, I guess, of what I've learned and what I've seen my parents learn um, over the course of um, living overseas. Firstly, there's a couple of myths, which I think a lot of people may have heard about um, missionaries or overseas mission. And the first one is that missionaries are super Christians. Has anyone kind of heard or something along those lines? Oh, missionaries are just so amazing and I could never do that. They're these super Christians. Who knows that's not true? <laughs> yeah. um, missionaries, you know, they're just, some, they're just you and me. They are people who have put their hand up. They're people who have a passion, perhaps a gift, a gifting in their area maybe of language or, or cross-cultural um, communication. Um, but it's you and me. And it's nothing too um, special. It, the, some of the work that, um, that overseas missionaries do is amazing and incredible. And there's so much need out there. Um, don't get me wrong, but missionaries are just like you and I. And the other thing that I have heard a wee bit is, um, oh, it's easier to share the gospel overseas. It's so much easier. <laughs> it's hard here in New Zealand. And there is an element of truth in that, I think, in, in a lot of Western cultures and countries. You know, we are quite closed off to the spiritual um, world. I think a lot of Westerners are quite, you know, don't feel comfortable talking about your faith and what you believe, and um, that's quite un-PC and that's quite awkward. And a lot of um, um, Asian cultures we found, you know, and even in Papua New Guinea, it's um, a lot more normal to talk about spirituality and to talk about the spiritual world. Um, and you do see a lot more um, uh, things that are, that are um, spiritual and you talk a lot more about things that are spiritual over in countries like that because I think people are a bit more open. But it's, ne it's not necessarily easier to share the gospel. I think an important thing to remember is that um, if you're not doing it here in New Zealand in your life already, um, it's not necessarily going to magically happen or become easier when you go overseas. Um, you've got to put in that, that, um, that time with God. You've got to put in that practice um, and that preparation. Missions isn't for superstars. Missionaries are just like you, ordinary people who God uses to do the extraordinary. And God can use each and every one of us. So a couple of my own thoughts about um, what I wish I knew before I went off on my own um, and, uh, and what I wish people knew. God often does more in our own lives. When we actually step out, and this is true in any kind of ministry in New Zealand or um, whatever, if you're stepping out um, to serve others and, and to serve God, God so often does more in our own lives and in our own hearts um, than what we ever could have imagined and what we, you know, we kind of step out thinking, I'm going to change the world and I'm going to change this person and I'm going to bring so much, you know, so much good stuff. Um, and God often will do um, huge works in our hearts. Often our insecurities and our vulnerability will 
bubble up to the surface when we're put in those situations and God pinpoints and he pokes and he, um, and he challenges us and convicts us. Um, and it's an encouraging thing. Sometimes it's not expected. I remember my dad saying when they first went to Papua New Guinea, you know, it was kind of like, oh, okay, well, Ruth's a nurse and dad's a handyman and done some Bible college. We can kind of, we can, we can do some real good. We can change this and do that. And he said he did not expect um, just the lessons and the growth and sometimes the painful growth um, that God had caused in his own life. Miracles often happen outside of the boat. Um, you were talking about healing earlier this morning, and um, you know, often God wants to heal, um, and it's in His timing, right? But how many know that if we never ask, we, we may not see the miracle if we don't step out. So, out of the boat, I'm, I'm referring to Peter, who stepped out of the boat. He listened to Jesus' voice. He um, he responded to Jesus' call to step out of the boat, um, and he wouldn't have experience what that was like to walk on water um, if he hadn't stepped out of the boat. If he'd stayed in the boat, yeah, I understand what you're saying, Jesus, but I'm not going to quite make that step. Um, he, he wouldn't have experienced um, the miracle that Jesus wanted to show him. So um, making this step, you know, out, if, you, if you feel called to overseas mission and you, wanna, um, you want to um, see stuff happen, just make that first step and then God's going to honour that. Another note that I've found um, to be very true is being a foreigner is physically and mentally tiring. Um, me being a foreigner in Cambodia, um, so not knowing the language when I first went there, not knowing anybody that lived there, um, the culture was very different, the environment is different. Um, just on a practical level, it is really exhausting. Your brain is turned on 24-7, you're thinking in another language, you're, you're trying to pick up on um, what people are really meaning, you know, behind what they're saying. Um, often in that sort of environment, living over in overseas, um, you're doing 24-7 with people. People are in and out of your house and you're doing life with them. Um, and it's really exhausting. Um, and so it's something that I, th I just encourage you to be aware of with um, immigrants and refugees and people who are not Kiwis living in New Zealand. Um, it's actually, it's, it's tiring. It's hard work being in a completely new place. Um, and so just encourage you to be sensitive to that um, and aware of that, um, that you can, you can kind of acknowledge it for them and say, hey, it's really hard. You know, you've moved your entire life. You've moved your entire family sometimes or they've left family behind. Um, and it can be really tiring. Something that's very true at the moment um, around COVID times is um, coming home from the mission field, coming home from overseas um, is really hard. Um, often, uh, especially now, it, it can be quite sudden, a sudden decision to leave, um, perhaps, you know, doing overseas mission and you thought you might be there five, ten years and then you have to, you have to leave all of a sudden and say goodbye or, or sometimes not even have a chance to say goodbye. I remember... Um, uh, on Pangoa Island, um, we had to leave quite suddenly for the last time. Um, my dad was really unwell. He'd had malaria um, a number of times. Um, and my mum had actually got some terrible burns from that gas fire again um, and was really needing some medical assistance. We also had family stuff going on in New Zealand that we kind of needed to come back for. Um, and it was a really quick decision. It had to be a quick decision. And we left, packed up, um, didn't get to say goodbye to a lot of people. And that's really hard. It, it can be quite an emotional time and there's a lot of stuff that you need to work through, you know, in your heart when you kind of suddenly you're, you're not where you thought you would be. 
Um, and that transition is quite hard. And so um, my mum and dad actually work for a mission organisation and they do a lot of work with missionaries who come home just debriefing them um, and helping with that transition um, into New Zealand life again. It can be a wee bit of a reverse culture shock. And so um, I encourage you, if you if you know anyone that is coming home, um, uh, just to get that debrief um, sorted and have someone that they can work through some of that stuff with. We overestimate what we can do in one year and we underestimate what we can do in five. What that means is um, often when we venture out in something new, that can be in New Zealand as well, but if we kind of, right, I'm going to go and do this thing, I've got all these dreams and these plans and it's going to be awesome and I'm going to, you know, this is what's going to happen. And you kind of get to you know, a year or so, and, and if you haven't seen it happen, it can be quite disappointing and quite disheartening, and like, oh man, you know, for example, some of my friends over in Cambodia with language learning, oh, I'll do a year language learning, and then I'll be right, and I'll get into it, I'll get into what I want to do, and sometimes it takes a lot longer than that, um, it, it can be hard, and you can get to that and think, oh man, I'm not really anywhere, this is really disappointing and, and frustrating. Um, but I just encourage you to keep going because we often underestimate what we can do in five years. So you go down the track and you see, you look back and see what God has done and often you're, you're surprised and um, amazed at what God um, can do in five years. Um, this is true for Andre and I at Cornerstone as well at the moment. Um, looking back over the last four and a half years, I never ever would have imagined um, to have seen um, the personal growth in people and the stepping up of leaders. Um, we have a leadership program that we're in our second year now. It's kind of for up and coming leaders or people that um, really have a hunger and desire for God um, and perhaps don't have the skills or leadership skills to know really where to go next. Um, and so we have about 15 or so young people and sort of up to the early 30s coming in and we just do monthly meetings learning about leadership um, and learning about um, how, to, how to take the next step in God. And just seeing um, just their progress and their desire grow and grow for God and just their leadership. They're doing things like fasting for the first time ever. They're doing things like mentoring young people that I've never, I've never done and they're given the skills to mentor and disciple these young people. Um, they are preaching. They are um, sharing their testimonies. They are um, leading in communion, that sort of thing. And just seeing the growth and, um, yeah, the... Um, the passion that they have is really, really encouraging. I guess the main thing that I've learned over, over the years um, is that every believer is called to mission. I hope that you're starting to get this picture that it's not just um, missionaries overseas. Every believer is called to mission. And I want to just really quickly um, just explore a little bit about what is mission, why do we do it, and how do we do it. It sounds simple but it's got a lot of, um, lot of meaning. So what, why, and how? What is mission? Um, the Latin word mito is to send. Misho is sending. So that implies that something is sent to accomplish a task. In other words, God has sent the church, which is you and I, all believers, to accomplish a task, and that is God's mission. Church Mission Society says it like this, the call is for all. All God's people are called to join in God's mission. And that can be in another country, or that can be next door, or with your loved ones. 
really simple phrase which I really like um, and it's easy to remember as well about what, what is mission. It's obeying Christ, sharing Christ and relying on Christ. And if we live our lives and we remember those things, we're obeying Christ, we're sharing Christ, we're relying on Christ. That is the basis of God's mission. That is, that is um, the basis of you know, the gospel. That's, Jesus came to um, bring salvation and bring us closer to the Father. And if we can kind of get that mission really ingrained into our head, um, uh, it's, a, it's a good one to keep there. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. If that's not a practical, um, practical list of God's mission, <laughs> then I don't know what it is. Um, go, take a step, go somewhere, make disciples, love people. Making disciples is all about teaching and living life with people, loving them like Jesus did baptizing them and teaching them. So why? Why are we called to do mission and why should we bother? I believe that it's our response to love. As I said, Jesus came um, to bring salvation. He brought God's love um, and was the manifestation of God's love for us. And I believe it is our response and our duty um, to that love that what Christ has done for us, um, we, have a, um, we have a response we can choose to do nothing with that, or we can choose to respond to love um, in a practical way. John thirteen thirty four: a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Bible Study Tools is a really great website as well, just a side note. Um, and they say, as believers, we are called to actively spread God's words and love to make a positive difference in the world, whether it be our loved ones or strangers from another country. We are called to actively spread God's words and love. That is our mission and that is our why. So the second thing is, is actually a command. Jesus says in Mark um, 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This is just after he um, was resurrected and he spent um, some time, a number of days with the disciples. And then he said, go into all the world. It was sort of like, you guys know me now. You know, you've, you've done mission with me. You have followed me. You've seen what I've taught. Um, you trust me. You've experienced um, God's power. And now the command is go into all the world and preach that gospel of love. And the last thing there for the why is we are blessed to be a blessing. Um, in Genesis 12, God is talking to Abraham about um, the blessing. He's blessing him. And it is not just for him to keep for himself, um, but that's to bless the generations to come and his descendants. Um, and we are called to be a blessing as well, not just to keep the blessing to ourselves. Um, and this can be very practical. This can be um, finances, you know, if we are blessed in finances, um, we are called to be a blessing with that. If we are blessed with the gift of leadership, we're actually called to be a blessing with that and to use it and to step out. So how? How do we do mission? Um, a term, I think, is uh, from a Kairos course, which um, if anyone is interested in cross-cultural mission or just mission in general, um, Kairos... Um, course and also empowered to influence talk about this mission mindset and they are 
fantastic courses, so I encourage you to look into them. Um, mission mindset, it's all about having your eyes open to the world around you. There are opportunities for mission all around us, all the time. Um, and it's about um, just being where you are, just in the marketplace, in your workplace, um, in your family, in your home. There are opportunities for mission all around us, all the time. In my work, I'm a general practice nurse, um, and so I see a lot of patients every day. Um, and I can't exactly um, preach or just share Jesus with, with my patients. Um, but just having this mission mindset, just having um, my eyes open to the world, when, when they say little things, um, hey, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to share Christ. That's an opportunity to share his love. That's an opportunity to share um, his hope in this situation. And just having that, your ears and your eyes open to those opportunities um, for mission is really important. Winky Pratney says, every Christian a missionary, every non-Christian a mission field. That's having our eyes open. And the second thing, um, how, is be willing. As I said, um, my parents uh, went to Papua New Guinea when they were just married, that only a few months they actually had a friend of theirs say, what do you think about moving to Papua New Guinea? And um, it was a bit out of the blue. They'd never, done, they'd never gone overseas before. Um, and this friend said, why don't you go home, pray about it, think about it, come back with three good reasons why you shouldn't go. <laughs> they did. They went home and they came back to him and could not think of one good reason which I think must have been a God thing because I feel like I could have thought of a few good reasons why not to go when you're newly married. Oh, I've got to save money for a house. Oh, we're going to start a family. Um, I don't want to leave my parents. But um, God was calling them and they could not think of one good reason. So they said, sure, we'll go. God, we're willing. Um, and so they went. Isaiah 6 verse 8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. It's having your eyes open, having your heart turned towards Jesus when he does call you, whether that's overseas mission, whether that is um, calling you to go and talk to your neighbor about him, to share Christ's love. Have your ears open, put your hand up and say, God, I'm willing. And the next one is share your story. I... Um, I'm not the greatest storyteller. My husband jokes that I do leave out a lot of little details and um, important, inf little details, important information. Um, and I kind of, I just, I don't mean to. I just remember things wrong. And I'm telling the story and I'm like, yeah, I think that's how it was. Oh, yeah. Um, and then later he'll be like, that's not, that's not what happened. Um, I <laughs> was obviously a very, very proud daughter of my parents who grew up, you know, who brought me up overseas on an island. Um, and one time, my mum, I believe she was pregnant with my twin brothers. She was very, very sick, very unwell. She got very dehydrated. Um, and at one point, and because we were so isolated, we couldn't just, you know, go down to the hospital. There was no hospital. Um, and so she was very dehydrated, and what she needed was IV fluids. And so in my mind, I was sitting in Christchurch oh, a number of years ago, maybe nine years ago now, sharing with some of my young adult friends, do you know what my dad did? My mum was so unwell and she needed IV fluids. And he, because he had a bit of a shady past, he'd done a bit of IV drug using before he 
came to God. Um, and so he knew how to find a vein. And so he, he didn't have any anything, any equipment or anything like that for IV fluids. But um, there were coconuts on the island. Do you know that coconut um, water is actually very close to the consistency of human blood, which is true. Um, <laughs> and so he, he got this coconut, and um, I think he might have had an IV line tubing, but, but he made um, needles out of, like, bamboo and, um, and managed to find a vein and got this fluid into her. And as I was telling this story, my husband and some of the other young adults were like, um, and I was even doubting myself as I was telling this story, but I was like, my parents are so amazing. You know, they just did st- whatever they could on the island. Um, and as we were driving home, my husband was like, but that didn't happen. I'm pretty sure I got to check with your dad what actually happened in that story. We went home and, and asked my dad, and uh, he was hysterically laughing, saying, oh, that's so cute that you thought I could do that, Hannah. But um, I did have an IV bag and an IV line and some needles lying around. I did find the vein. But uh, I had all the equipment there. I didn't make it out of coconuts and bamboo. <laughs> so that was embarrassing. <laughs> that seems to happen to me a wee bit. But um, I do try. I do try my very best. But <laughs> what I'm saying, share your story. It's, testimony is so powerful. And when you are talking to someone, especially if they don't know Jesus, your story can be incredibly life-changing. Your story about what God has done, your story about how you have seen um, God move in your life, how you have seen um, his light turn around situations that are dark, Um, your story is so powerful. So share your story whenever and wherever you can. Be wise with it. Um, But when there's an opportunity, when you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, share your story. 1 Chronicles 16, 24. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. If God has done something good in your life, don't keep it to yourself. Share it. And the last one on how, how do we do mission? Be confident. This isn't necessarily a confidence in your own ability, although God does give us gifts and talents, um, but to be confident in God and Holy Spirit power because he's actually the one leading you. So whether you are going overseas, um, and there's, there's many, many times when I was working over in Cambodia, and I was so out of my depth as a, as a new nurse when I went there on my own. It was very different going by yourself um, as an adult, working, rather than having been there with my family, not really having too much responsibility, doing school, um, learning the language and hanging out with my friends pretty much. So living there as um, on my own as a nurse, um, I was a brand new nurse. I didn't have experience. I didn't have confidence as a nurse. I couldn't actually go in there and, I'll show you how to do it, I'll I'll teach all the nurses. I couldn't. Um, But what I I did have confidence in was that I knew God. I had seen God move and work in miraculous ways, especially in Papua New Guinea, but even in New Zealand as as we were doing ministry with mum and dad um, in different churches. I had a confidence in God's power. I had a confidence in um, when he calls you, he's not going to leave you stranded. He's going to lead you and he's going to guide you. We sow and the Holy Spirit grows. The other thing about, um, I I touched slightly on uh, other cultures who have um, a bit more of an openness to the spiritual world. And that can be um, a positive and a negative. In Papua New Guinea, um, there is a lot of witchcraft and a lot of um, uh, spiritual stuff that goes on. Um, 
there was this one time that my mum was really sick. Again, she was pregnant. I think she was just um, pregnant with the twins and very, very unwell. Um, she had to be taken out to a nearby um, town, to a hospital there. Um, and because my dad was actually just starting a series, a teaching series at the Bible school there on spiritual warfare, he kind of had to stay on the island. Um, and so us girls had just left as well. Um, some friends had taken us up to be with mum. So he was on his own, and he was um, delving into this topic of spiritual warfare with a lot of the local pastor, guys who were training to be pastors in the Bible school. Um, and he got home, and he was feeling pretty low, I and mean, his wife is really unwell. All his kids have gone up to the hospital with someone else, and he's by himself, and he's trying to plan these lessons. And he's really pushing into prayer. He's really pushing into the Holy Spirit. And who knows when you start doing that, there is a bit of a um, bit of resistance in the spiritual world. There's a bit of pushback sometimes. And they, uh, he was there in the house. They had this power shell kind of encased in glass cross um, that they took everywhere. Mum and Dad took everywhere, every house that they went. They'd have it up on a door, door frame. And it was hanging on a nail as well that was kind of, you know, positioned pretty well. It wasn't, wasn't windy. The fan wasn't on. Nothing was happening. It was pretty secure there. And as it was sitting there, it started to rattle a wee bit. And um, it actually came off the nail and flew across the room, the other side of the room, onto the floor and smashed. And to him, that was freaky. That was really freaky. And there was lots of other stuff that actually happened that week while he was teaching um, on spiritual warfare that, that is for another time. Um, but that really rattled him and he's like, God, all this stuff has been happening. I don't know if I should be pushing into this. Um, he wasn't feeling confident at all. Um, but, and he said, I, I'm almost ready to pack up and go. I just, I'll just scratch the, the course. I'll just pack up and go. The next day, um, a, another missionary, a guy, a pastor, was it? Yeah, from another area, um, arrived on the island, which was very unusual. We didn't often get visitors. Um, and he said, hi, I'm here to help teach the course. And uh, I, I've, I'm here to help you. I'm going to help with the spiritual warfare course. And my dad was not expecting him. And he's thinking, how? Why? Who are you? When did this happen? But it was, it was like, a, oh, my goodness, someone is here. I'm not alone. I, I can continue doing this. He, he didn't necessarily have confidence in himself because he was freaking out a little bit. But the Holy Spirit, um, there is power behind us. When we step out in God, there is power. Um, and we often see the miraculous when we step out of the boat. We sow and the Holy Spirit grows. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, but it is because it is the power of God that brings salvation. It's not us. It's not our abilities. It's the power of God um, that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Obeying Christ, sharing Christ, and relying on Christ. I've just come to the end, but just a couple of tips. If you, um, if you do feel like you are called to overseas mission um, and you feel like you have a specific um, uh, passion for that, just a couple of really practical tips that you can feel free to write down. Um, draw on your strengths. God has given you gifts and talents for a reason. Draw on your strengths. Work on them. Consider cultural context. It's so important to go into a place and know where you're actually heading into. Um, when we went to Cambodia... Before we went the first time as teenagers, mum and dad got us to research about um, uh, the genocide that had happened in the late 70s in Cambodia. Um, and um, that was something that 
wreaked absolute havoc on the whole entire country for years and years, and still there's ramifications in that country on um, a whole generation that pretty much was killed, um, and, and children who are growing up without parents, and it just it just has uh, manifestations everywhere. And so we couldn't move to Cambodia and go into that situation and be like, right, we can do this and do that and we can speak into this without actually knowing the cultural context and what we were stepping into. So that's really important. Listen well. Be ready to learn something new about the gospel yourself because God often does more in our hearts. And get a passport. Very practical. Very difficult in COVID times. Um, But get prepared. Save some money. Get a passport. And um, it's exciting to see where God might lead you. So the takeaway today, I hope um, that you've grabbed this. Um, We can all do something. In fact, we are all called to do something. God bless you. Thank you so much, Hannah. Awesome. Really, really practical stuff.